We didn't go out health leather to start with because we knew that we needed to have the foundations right. I think we identified at an early point in time that there was a need for it, but it was about being well prepared before we launched into it, boots and all, to deliver the service. Because going in green on something and, and making a mess of it early can be very detrimental to the rollout and to the future success of the program. So we were very cognizant of that in the early days, which has now allowed us to upskill both ourselves but others. And we now work with GPs who have helped upskill so that they're more capable to deliver a high-quality service to their men that have got erectile issues or prostate issues. G'day, I'm Brad Butt and I'm Managing Partner at Coolum & Court Pharmacy in Canberra and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Today, we are speaking with the 2019 Australian Patients Association Most Outstanding Pharmacist of the Year, Brad Butt from Coolman Corp Pharmacy in the ACT. Brad is an industry innovator, especially within specialised professional services. Brad's professional health programs are patient-centric and meet the health needs of the community. Today, we will be talking to Brad about several of his programs, including the development of his men's health program. Here's Brad. Brad, welcome to the show. Firstly, congratulations on your recent accolade. How does it feel to be recognised as the Australian Patients Association's most outstanding community pharmacist of the year? It's amazing. I feel very humbled by the honour. It's um, something like I've never felt before. Uh, It's a very proud moment, I suppose, and um, it's a moment of self-reflection, but it's also a moment to reflect on the team as well. I think it's important to acknowledge that Without the support of the team around us, both in the pharmacy and and our broader team, uh, we've got a, you know, team members in Sydney at the head office and and at our other local shops here in town. Without their support, you know, it makes it harder for me to do my job. So I spend less time with my patients. And you know, given it's an award nominated by and voted by the patients, uh, I think um, you know it's important to acknowledge those those other people. As you mentioned, the award really is recognition of the entire team who enable you to do your job well and the pharmacy itself. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in pharmacy so far and specifically Coolum and Court Pharmacy and how it's evolved to what it is today? I've been in pharmacy since 1995, so a few years now. In fact, more than half of my life I've spent in and around pharmacies. So customer service and the OTC products and dispensary activities are almost part of my part of my daily life and have been for a long time. So uh, my time at Coolum and Court Pharmacy, where I'm based now, started in 2011, um, and I, I became a, a partner in that business in 2013. Uh, so I've spent a good amount of time here now, and we've been really lucky here at Coolum and Court to build a good, strong team um, of pharmacists. Uh, we've we identified a few years ago that we needed to invest in our in our people um, in, and in our procedures to make us a, a really professional outfit. Um, and I think that that's you know, that's in part um, recognised in the award as well. So there's been a shift in recent years for pharmacies to focus on professional service delivery. What 
made you there look at health services? Was there some major point that really brought it into focus or was it more about motivation to just always wanting to be better and improve? Back in um, back in my time in Armadale, where I'm originally from, and I spent time in the pharmacy as a very junior pharmacy assistant, picking up the rubbish outside the shop and cleaning shelves, we I, I guess it was instilled in me even from that point in time by uh, probably the main the main professional driver in in my in my career, uh, my mentor, if you like, uh, Greg Hannon, uh, who who sold up his pharmacy, he was in it for thirty years. Um, uh, a few years back, uh, he instilled from a very early age that cus- looking up the customers and getting positive patient outcomes was really important. And back in those days, in, in the late 90s, pharmacy was a different thing altogether. We all, we often remark pharmacy's been back to the wall for a long time. You know, there's always been something that's threatened pharmacy as we know it. And not surprisingly, pharmacy's always come through. And I think the position we find ourselves in now is not terribly dissimilar uh, to how it was back in the late 90s in a lot of respects in that there were external pressures being applied to community pharmacy and, you know, we put our head down and figured out how we were going to get through it and we managed all right. So I guess at that point in time back in my Armadale days, this was working in a pharmacist advice. Uh, as you may be aware, pharmacist advice was one of the first um, pharmacy banner groups that sort of touted the, the ability of the pharmacist and practised Ford Pharmacy, where the pharmacist was accessible and out in the front of the shop as opposed to being cooped up in the back of the shop. Uh, and I guess that model, I modelled my practice off that in a lot of respects. And then coming to Canberra um, back in in 2011, uh, you know, it was one of the things that I wanted to, to implement in the new shop that I was in was, was to make sure that we were offering uh, really good customer service. And then naturally off the back of that, you, you know, you started looking for ways that you could better serve the better serve the community and you know back in those times there wasn't a whole lot on offer in terms of six cpa or seven cpa programs that the government were paying for it was you know ndss with the diabetes supplies and making sure you looked after those patients really well um, and i think i think we'll cover more of that later but um, uh, the the professional program aspect is something that we've worked really hard on in the last in the last sort of six years i suppose to to differentiate ourselves you make the decision to go down the professional services path how did you determine which services because there's lots that you can offer but so how did you determine which services were worth investing in when you first started out and what were they a really good question. The the services that we initially were offering were probably akin to what a lot of pharmacies are now looking to implement. So basic things with blood pressure um, recording and and not just recording, but talking to patients about what it meant. So it was more than just giving them a number. It was an explanation around the number. Um, cholesterol testing. I think we would have been one of the first pharmacies in Australia to, to purchase a point of care um, cholesterol checking machine, which we still use today, in fact, um, which is a testament to the work we did in the early stages of using that point of care diagnosis um, device. So we did cholesterol, and you know, again, more than just a number. It was a conversation around the number. Um, diabetes supply was, you know, you had your diabetics coming in for their diabetes supplies on the NDSS. It made good sense 
to not just supply but to to and commoditize what we were doing, but to offer advice and to check in with the patient to make sure that they were using their their device appropriately and that they understood what they were up to with their insulin and and their medications. Um, you know, we did you know, blood sugar testing. So I think a lot of pharmacies now are looking at those things as professional services that they can be doing, um, which is which is excellent. It's really important. Um, uh, but that was sort of where we started all those years ago. And then as time went on, you know, the opportunities arose just through being proactive with your patients, but also with our local community, with our, the local doctors and the specialists, um, you know, other opportunities present. And um, it, it's really hard to know what professional service you, you might be best to do. And, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that we looked at in the early days and tried that, that didn't work as well. And, um, uh, you know, we can elaborate on that at, at some point if you like. But, um, uh, you know, it can be really hard to, to know. And I guess the really important thing is, have a go. That's the main thing. If you can put your best foot forward and, and do it thoroughly and, and invest invest some time before you start um, to, to research and, and look at the opportunity and the cost of the opportunity before you roll something out. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be it's got to be financially viable for the pharmacy to offer it. Um, and if you do that properly, you, you, you know, invest your time initially you are more well advised when you come to rolling it out and implementing the service. I think that's one of the things we've been very fortunate of here at Coolman Court Pharmacy in Canberra is that um, the pharmacists that we've got around me here, there's, of which there's six, um, and also our broader group of, uh, you know, the head office in Sydney and across our network of pharmacies in New South Wales, we've, been, we've had a lot of support um, and people to bounce ideas off. So those early ones include blood pressure testing, cholesterol testing, diabetes advice and support around people coming into the pharmacy to get their diabetes supplies, blood sugar testing. As you said, I might want to elaborate and I would. I'd be interested in if there's anything that over the journey you started to offer didn't really work out and you thought we need to stop doing that, as well as talking about some of the services that you've you've added and continued since the start. The difficulty with things that that we've dropped is that, or the services that we've looked to implement and then have stopped doing is, is you kind of, you kind of erase them from your memory. So, um, so let, so let me, let me talk on the other part of the question and I'll come back to you on what we might've done and, and then stopped. Um, so, so I guess one of the, one of the things we've, we've done, worked on more recently, which we're probably now quite well renowned for is our men's health program, um, which, which is which is essentially around their men's urological health. Uh, so that could involve anything from erectile dysfunction to Peyronie's disease to buried penis to prostate cancer to um, bladder and bowel cancer. There's there's quite a range of um, things we're doing in the men's health space, and I think it's really important to note that this is not something that's come about overnight. It's something that we've worked on. We I've worked on over the last. Uh, six or seven years uh, and it's been a lot of hard work so uh, I guess uh, to come back to the question about what have you done that hasn't worked sometimes the the point of it is sometimes it can take a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to bring something to fruition so uh, I guess one of the things we had done uh, previously which which we which we're not doing so much now is working in the arthritis space so we used to have um a good little arthritis program that we run at the pharmacy for people with, with both osteoarthritis and 
rheumatoid arthritis, and that sort of went into your ankylosing spondylitis and some of those gouts and some of those other forms of arthritis. So we used to work quite a lot in that space, and it was becoming hard, and patients were becoming uh, more more conscious of price. So, you know, where we were using a lot of fish oil supplements and the likes, uh, you know, people were, were, were happy to shop around and try and find it at a cheaper price rather than get the advice and the service at, at, at our pharmacy and, and consequently buy the product and buy it over and over and over again for the management of those conditions. So that sort of fell away of, of its own natural cause. And we still work in that space a bit, but it's not a primary focus. Um, so that's probably a good example of an initiative that we had that was working quite well that is less of a, less of a focus now than it was. To use another example um, of a program that we implemented, I think we'd have been trendsetters for this as well. Perhaps I'm happy to have somebody argue that we weren't, but um, we worked quite a lot with um, the Asthma Foundation and... Uh, the, the providers of spaces for puffers. So we were doing a lot of asthma education in our pharmacy for the patients that came in, um, primarily around the importance of using a spacer. And interestingly, that went that went really well. You know, it was well received, and we were getting good outcomes. But I suppose in that, with that program that we were doing, that would have been five years ago, maybe six. We we sort of hit a ceiling where the patients were seeing we'd seen them multiple times. So their technique compared to someone who we hadn't counselled was pretty pretty good. And uh, you know we still work in that space a bit, but it's less of a focus. So perhaps to say that we've started something and then stopped it cold because it wasn't working um, is a bit of a stretch. But um, we've probably worked on a good number of programs that have have had a life as such. Like it's been a very finite length um, of a program. So I've worked with blood cancer as an example. We still run a small blood cancer um, support group in the pharmacy. Uh, that's a, a national program that we that we do where we supply medication to patients all over the country and offer them support uh, for their CML and, and MF, myelofibrosis. And a lot of pharmacists probably are particularly skilled in that area. So we were able to offer a service um, but again, it had a very finite life, so we might have done that um, in earnest for, for for three years, and and you know it sort of has slowed down as more and more patients are, are across those conditions and are getting the support that they need either from their local pharmacy or um, you know, support groups on on forums on the internet and the likes. Some great examples there. I'd like to focus more on that Men's Health Down Under program. So let's use that as an example of how you and the team went from an innovative idea through to implementation. How did you decide that the Men's Health program was actually necessary? There was a market and you had patients that wanted to engage and improve in that space. And importantly, not just from a business perspective, but also from what the wider community needs. Back in early 2013, one of my regular patients in our community here in in Western Creek in Canberra um, came into the pharmacy. Just to give you perspective, our local community here in Western Creek in Canberra is about 25,000 people. So it's akin to probably a medium-sized regional town, so Armadale in in northern New South Wales, as an example, which is where I grew up. Similar sort of size community and, you know, there's... uh, four pharmacies in our in our locality uh, and you know 
half a dozen doctors' surgeries to service that population. And we're a very proud population here in that we, as, as a community in Western Creek, are not inclined to go beyond our beyond our valley, if, if, if you know what I mean. So our little community is quite tight-knit. So anyway, back in early 2013, Michael, a, a gentleman, um, came to see me. Uh, he'd been in with the urologist and he I had a good relationship with him. I didn't know that he was uh, had, had prostate cancer or was having any surgery done. And he came in to see me. And I remember the the day very clearly. He came in and he said, "Brad, can we have a chat?" And I said, "Yes, of course, of course, that's absolutely fine, Michael." And he said, "Have you got somewhere quiet we can go?" And I said, "Yeah, of course, no worries." So we went into the consult room. And back in those days, our consult room was it was a it was a mere shadow of the things that you know that, that are available now and that we've got now. It was an open top sort of pod of sorts tucked away in a corner. So I sat down with Michael and he said, Brad, I've had, I've had um, my prostate removed, you know, six weeks ago and I need to go and I need to get one of these vacuum pumps. I said, oh, right, no worries. So we had a bit of a laugh and um, and he laughed and I laughed and I said, right, so, you know, you, you're, having, you're having a lend to me. I said, what's up? And he said, no, that's that's what I'm here for. So anyway, the conversation went from, from a, a bit of a laugh and me thinking that Michael was having me on to uh, to, to, to me shedding a tear for this bloke that I'd grown quite close to over the last couple of years just through dispensing his antihypertensives or whatever he was on at the time um, and seeing him on a monthly basis. So the conversation moved pretty quickly into what we could do to help and um, I think as community pharmacists, that's the opportunity that we need to be looking for in terms of offering a service, um, something beyond blood pressure and that, you know, that fairly standard fare that most pharmacies, most professional pharmacies offer. So... The conversation moved pretty into quickly, pretty quickly into what we could do to help. And um, before I knew it, within within a few weeks, I was in at the urologist's office having a, a yarn about about what the what what needed to happen. Uh, so that's where it started back in 2013, and uh, we got it sorted out for for Michael back then, and um, got him onto the regime so that you know life beyond his prostatectomy was was good. And, um, and, and yeah, he lives a, a very happy, normal life now, which is wonderful. So that was the aim of the game for me at that point was to to understand what the need was, uh, understand where a pharmacist could help, understand why you know other allied health GPs weren't able to help as much, uh, and then and then obviously look to service more patients. And I guess we were fortunate in that there was a, a large need for for that sort of support for the patients. And there was, in Canberra, because we're such a small geographical area with a very finite number of urologists or sexual health doctors or GPs interested in erectile dysfunction, men's rehab physios, the, the numbers of those people in, in our community here in Canberra are, are fairly small. Um, in fact, you could count them on probably two hands. So the the ability for a pharmacist to come into that network and offer support was, was quite easy and the referrals came fairly quickly and fairly freely. We didn't need to do a whole lot of work other than to tell people that might be interested that we were able to offer a little bit more of a service. And then as, as things progress, as with any um, form of study you undertake, the more you practice, the, the better your knowledge becomes you know, the more you read the journals, the more you go to conferences, the more you talk to other people in the field, be it a urologist or a physio or a, or a prostate nurse or a sex doctor or a sexologist, um, the more you talk to those people, the, the better your knowledge becomes. And 
I guess, like I said before, I referenced it before, you know, it's been slow burn um, over the last you know, five years. But in the last, probably in the last two of those years, we decided to give it a real nudge and um, we've pushed a lot harder. We've got our website up and running and we're now taking referrals from, from all over the country. Um, and we've trained up additional pharmacists within our network that are offering similar services to what we are here in Canberra. Uh, I mean, today we're fortunate enough, I suspect we'll end up having a 1,000 patients through our program this year, which is remarkable. It's um, it's almost been a bit exponential in its growth in the last 18 months in that we'd have, done a thou- we'd have seen a 1,000 patients since 2013 to probably the start of 2018, and I reckon this year we'll probably, I, I think it likely we'll do a 1,000 patients through our clinic this year so it's been quite exponential which is really exciting um, not only for for me but for our, our team of pharmacists that work in that space um, and again for the broader group of, of pharmacists and and um, clerical staff that we that we work with that's amazing a thousand patients so you, you see an opportunity to fill a service gap and, and you notice a, a sizable need so you've identified that need for the service how did you develop a plan around what were the next steps? You mentioned that the referrals just started to come in. Did you just let that run organically and see where it went or did you really go out and try and push for networks and, and build contacts? In the interim, it was it was more organic growth. We just sort of let it do its thing and we obviously had connection just with the one urologist and at that point in time and and there was enough work at that point in time, we I employed three pharmacists, so there's myself and, and two others, and um, it, it wasn't feasible for me to be doing too much more than you know a patient a week or or maybe two patients a week. It's quite an onerous process. The consult takes about an hour. You have to go through a lot, and then you've got notes to take and reports to send back to the doctors and the uh, to the GP, the urologist, or whoever else was involved in that patient's care. So it was quite onerous and. We in the very early stages we didn't have the 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 capability, if that makes sense, to to do those processes easily. So I mean we've got Guildcare now, which is great. So we use Guildcare for a lot of our referral letters and to keep notes about the patients, so that when the patient comes back in, you're not caught like a deer in the headlights, thinking, "Good God, I can't remember what your story was." Uh, so you've got something to refer back to, and it's that's been one of the critical one of the critical points for me was not so much learning the, the content or, you know, making the connections. It was about learning as a pharmacist how to create a record and to take notes and to write a referral letter because if you're working in a medical space, that's the expectation. As a pharmacist, you you know, you spend a lot of time talking to people and you might record some clinical interventions off the back of that. But the difference between recording a few clinical interventions and writing a referral letter um, of a medical standard back to a referring prescriber or to an allied health practitioner. It, it, that was a real learning curve for me. And back in the early days, we didn't have the facility to, to do that easily. So we let it grow very organically for a few years until I had another young pharmacist, Manath, um, who is um, working in the government now, which is a crying shame because he's worth more than that. But um, he's... He's working in the government and, and God bless him, he's doing a good job there and representing pharmacy well. So Manaf and myself were probably the, the two initial uh, guys um, that, that, that started working the space and um, Manaf helped me carry that load of, 
additional work that was coming through the pharmacy because we're we're a busy pharmacy. Uh, we've got a lot of foot traffic, and um, the additional work was nice to have, but we, you know, we were at that point where we could ha- we could do without it. So. Manaf was really good support for me and we shared the workload and made sure that we were both getting upskilled and educated to offer the service and um, organically over the years we've grown to to have the six pharmacists in the shop now, uh, three males, three females and you might say that, that that doesn't particularly matter but I think in men's health there is an aspect of it where it's nice for the chap to deal with the male so it has been somewhat of a priority for me to get the blokes upskilled so that they can have the conversation. That said, I've got... Uh, a couple of pharmacists that, that are female that are able to have the conversation if the wheels fall off the bus and there's none of the, the men's health pharmacists here, they, they are actually able to deliver the service, but, but you know they'll probably end up deferring back to the, to the male pharmacist to do it. So I think we've had, um, we've probably got a dozen, a dozen blokes, um, men that, male pharmacists that have come through um, Coolman Court Pharmacy, spent time with Myself and and Tim, Tim's uh, the other male pharmacist that that delivers the men's health service. Um, but so those those other young pharmacists have come through and developed an understanding as to what we do, so they can implement that service into their practice wherever they might be, as well be at Wagga or Forbes or Orange or, or wherever it might be. So we've sort of grown in that respect as well. But it, I guess the point of all this is that we didn't go out health leather to start with because we knew that we needed to have the foundations right. I think we identified at an early point in time that there was a need for it, but it was about being well prepared before we launched into it, you know, um, boots and all to deliver the service because going in green on something and and making a mess of it early can be very detrimental to the rollout um, and to the future success of the program. Um, So we were very cognizant of that in the early days, which has now allowed us to upskill both ourselves but others um, and you know, we now work with GPs that we've helped upskill so that they're more um, capable to, to deliver a high quality service to their men that have got erectile issues or prostate issues. The program is targeted at men who are notoriously bad at being proactive with their health or even just taking action when they have an ailment. Obviously, some of those patients in the program that you engage with are referrals, but can you talk to us about how you broach the subjects with men and some of the challenges involved and how you overcome them? You're right. Men are generally uh, perhaps less engaged in their health. Actually, that's probably not entirely fair. I think men are quite engaged in their health but need the impetus to, to talk about it. That's probably more the point. I think women are very engaged in health and they're good communicators as a rule where men perhaps are more they confine to themselves or they might tell you know a good friend something so they tend not to talk about their health as much I think they're still engaged so it's a really interesting um, phenomenon I think and you see it particularly with the men that have got you know pros- been diagnosed with prostate cancer unfortunately in that when you have something that flips your world upside down you become an advocate for whatever that condition is. So I mean, I, I, I liken, I was diagnosed with, with a non-malignant melanoma, which scared the bejesus out of me a few years ago. And and all of a sudden I felt compelled to, to tell people about it, go and get your skin checked. You know, it might look like a mole, but but it might not be. Um, so I, and I think I'm probably 
probably not a bad case study in that respect in that, you know, I'm only a younger bloke and to have something like that happen shook me and it made me think I'm not invincible and I do need to take care of my health and I'm, I was very quick to advocate for, you know, skin checks. And I think we see with our men's health patients, be it erectile dysfunction, be it Peyronie's disease, be it you know, prostate cancer, bowel cancer, you very quickly find that the, the, the blokes become real spokespeople for their condition very quickly to the point where they where they actually will offer their services um, to, to, to talk to other people who are going through what they've been through. And we've got a few really wonderful longer-term patients that have been part of the program that now work almost in a support role. So, you know, if we get a newly diagnosed prostate cancer patient come in, you know, I've got a dozen beautiful men and their partners, both same-sex and, and uh, male-female relationships. So, so um, we can, we've got people who can speak from the partner side, but also from the patient side, partner male, partner female. So we've got quite a range of, an assortment of different nationalities, um, you know, very blokey blokes, less blokey blokes. So we've got a lot of blokes now. There'd be a good dozen that we can refer a newly diagnosed patient to, so just so they've got somebody to talk to, somebody that understands them. Uh, none of my team have had, you know, uh, issues in this area particularly. So whilst we talk to a lot of people and we can be very empathetic, it's hard for us to understand exactly how they're feeling. And I think that's one of the critical, that's been one of the successes is that we've, that the blokes have been um, very happy to to talk to one another, um, you know, and they'll be at dinner parties and they'll, they'll talk about their their prostate cancer. Probably not their erectile dysfunction as much, but prostate cancer they're very happy to talk about and and become a spokesperson for. Um, but that said, I think that you know, from an erectile dysfunction point of view, there's a good. I, think, I can't remember the statistics. I think it's something like a million a million men suffer with erectile dysfunction in the Australian population at, at any point in time, and. You know, it's really important for a lot of blokes to be able to to have a good erection and to have a a strong sexual relationship with their partner. Uh, you know, there's there's that physical side of the relationship which is really important to to them and important to their partner. An important part of who they are. So it's um, so part of being a male for a lot of the guys, and a lot of the guys do suffer in silence. And I guess that's one of the things where we've tried to work really hard in the social space. Um, online, uh, that seems to be the best approach is work in the online space so that we can help um, support the men that, that perhaps don't know what to say. They don't know how to start the conversation. And a lot of these men will self-report, they'll self-refer to Men's Health Down Under. Um, you know, they'll see it on, they'll see something on Instagram and they'll think, oh, okay, great. Oh, there's someone that can help me that's a pharmacist. I don't have to see, even see a doctor. I can talk to them over the phone. Uh, so be it Instagram or Facebook or just via the website, um, menshealthandunder.com.au, there's, um, there's a lot of, we've tried really hard to work in that space so that blokes don't necessarily have to have an awkward conversation with a GP that they don't know, um, where they have to book an appointment and, and fork money out. Um, so that's that's been one of the successful things for us, but there's still a lot of work for us to do in that respect. You know, we've, we won an award earlier in the year for, ACT Men's Health Program or Initiative um, of the Year, and um, it was really interesting looking at the other winners from the other states and territories uh, and seeing what they do. And there, a lot of them are working in the mental health space and the social side. And I think as pharmacists, we can do a much better job at, at having that 
social presence and the, the, the one-on-one conversations with patients who either walk through the door with diabetes, you know, well, how's your erectile function? It's not great. Okay, let's have that conversation. Um, or, or they, you know, they can get in touch via the social channels. That's been really helpful. Brad, what advice can you give to those listening and who may be considering taking the steps to implement a new health service into their pharmacy? I'm really glad you asked. It's um, it really there's a, there's a very simple there's a very simple strategy of or formula if you like. It's not that it's foolproof, but it it, it will certainly set any pharmacist, be it a young pharmacist that's chomping at the bit to do something different, or or you know an old a more mature pharmacist who just wants to do something to make their practice uh, more enjoyable or more holistic. And, and it's, it's really simple. It's the, the Pharmacy Guild put together um, a framework for delivery of professional services. And they, it's called the, the CP2025 guidelines. And it's something that we use regularly in the pharmacy. So we've just set up a cardiovascular health program. Um, and we've used those CP2025 guidelines that the Guild put out you know, six months ago to help us best identify the program and the space that we wanted to work in. So i.e. where is the gap? And then how do I roll it out? What do I need to do? What do I need to consider? Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's been invaluable and, and, and without letting the cat out of the bag, we're actually using it again to, to work um, on another little project that ties nicely into men's health, um, which I won't mention yet. We'll wait and see what that, what it comes, what bring, what it brings, I suppose. But um, you know, it's, if it's, it could be applied, the CP2025 guidelines could be applied to a service as simple as taking a, a blood pressure and how you're going to, how you're going to do that on a, on a larger basis rather than just doing it ad hoc, right through to delivery of a, you know, a serious, serious, serious health program, um, be it men's, like a men's health program or a women's health program. So that is my, that is my golden tip. Go and download the document. I presume it's readily downloadable. Uh, Most pharmacist owners or proprietors are guild members and they will have access to the document even if you don't. Um, They should be able to get you a copy of the CP2025 guidelines and use that as your starting point. It'll help you do all the research and then you can start the implementation process uh, and you'll feel like you're coming in knowing what outcome you want to achieve. And that's the critical thing for the patient because... If you don't know exactly what you want to achieve for the patient and for the business um, and you haven't done your homework, that's when you, you find these programs that, that just don't come to fruition. Outstanding advice there, Brad. Brad Butt, Managing Partner at Coolman Court Pharmacy in Canberra and Australian Patients Association's 2019 Most Outstanding Pharmacist. Congratulations on the award again and thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your experiences around implementing professional services pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Brad for sharing such an inspiring story in which it is clear to recognise why you have been awarded the 2019 Australian Patients Association Most Outstanding Pharmacist of the Year. It was fantastic to hear of your professional service offering developed to meet the key needs of your patients in direct partnership with other health professionals. The Guild is committed to supporting community pharmacies better understand the needs of their community to enable professional service offerings to be identified. If you haven't already, make sure you access key Guild member tools, including the Opportunity Analysis, Script Map 2020, and the Viability Tool to better understand the service costs for your professional service offering. Talk to your branch today to make sure you access these essential business tools to better understand your business and 
business potential. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 28 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.